Okay. You got this, kid. Right? No, 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 no. Don't be scared. It's it's okay. I'm just a normal guy who happens to have a massive gash in his neck. Don't pay attention to that, though. Okay? Okay. Good. Okay. Good. Good. Okay. You're a smart kid. Yeah. Okay, bud. You see where I'm pointing? Yeah. Under the bark dust is my phone. Yeah, I, I can't move it because, well, you know, incorporeal time dilation entity and all that. Now, what I want you to do is pick up the phone. Yes, yes, exactly. You're such a good kid. Oh, my God. Now, you, you walked right up to it without even looking at it, which is, I mean, good job. It's kind of creepy, though, so hopefully nobody gets weird out by that. Now, what I want you to do... No, 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 no. Don't, don't pretend to call someone now. Come on. Come on. Okay. Uh, that that has a video that I was taking when the guy came up and murdered... Um, gave me a hug. <laughs> yeah, and it's the, the only way that I can find justice for that hug. So please don't act like you're on a business call, even though it's very... It is very funny. Uh, buy high, sell low. <laughs> you're going to be a great businessman one day. Yep, yep. You're doing the full bit. Okay, we're... You're not... Okay. That's funny, but please. I, I, I can't move on from this plane of existence until I'm vindicated for the, um... Hugging. Yeah. Okay, okay, good. Got you back. Hey, look, sweet. Now take that phone to your mom. There you go. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, mom. <laughs> you see a strange phone that your son just randomly picked up from under the black bark dust. Maybe you saw him zoning out while he, I was speaking to him. So obviously something is up, right? Good. Look at all the sites. I mean, that's that's normal. Uh, iPhone, no big deal. It's it's kind of the standard. It's actually a little bit, a couple of years outdated, but whatever. Not a big deal. I'm not a hipster. I don't have to have the newest one. Not all of us can keep up with the newest technology. Anyway, I'm dead. Who cares? Um, okay. Alright, you're kind of being weird about this. You're just looking it over. And, and all you have to do is take it home, charge it. And then you can see the evidence of my brutal blood... Hey, kid. <laughs> the brutal bloody tickling attack. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh, you're getting up. Okay, we're gonna go. We're gonna... Uh, yep, the battery is dead. It's a normal charging port. Everyone's got it. No big deal. Just take it home. Get it charged. Okay, we're going. We're going. <laughs> yes, we're gonna go to your home and we're gonna charge it up and then avenge me and help me move on. We are going to the trash can. We're not leaving the park. Come on. We're going to the trash can. Why? What do you have? Some fast food to get rid of? A Zan? Or a, a soda? I don't know. That was dark. Why are you taking my phone to the trash can? Why are you holding my phone over the trash can? No, lady, no, 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 you can't. You just threw it into somebody's dirty diaper. You threw the evidence of my grisly, morbidly unnecessary death into the trash. Why? It was a dead battery. Just come back and pick it up. I don't want to haunt this trash can forever. Oh, hey, kid. Hey, bud. You coming back to help me out? Help your old ghost friend out? Tend to the spirits, maybe? Oh, no. You just wanted to throw your gum away. Fine! I didn't want your help anyway. You got a weird bowl cut. Makes you look like you have too many goldfish as pets. Oh, hey, sweetie. Aren't you a pretty little girl? You want to come over and play a game? It's called reach into that trash can and grab a phone that has extremely valuable information regarding the traumatic and gruesome bloody act that will help release me from this eternal agony that binds me to the world. 
What do you say? You want to help me out? Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us. A journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. Did you make it out of your trash can? I did. Yeah, I was able to um, convince someone to uh, take the the phone and use it in a resurrection spell, <laughs> and then um, basically it, it collected everyone's ideas of what they think of me from my contacts. Whew, like, that's that's like some dark. major Facebook data sharing. It worked out in my favor as it recreated me <laughs> into who I am today. <laughs> Well, all I can say is I was very stressed out listening to that story. Why? Because I was like, oh, this is not going to work out. This, this kid, <laughs> he seems a little bit, a, a little too dumb to follow instructions. And then his mom just throwing it in the trash. Just throwing it right Even in the trash. Even if a phone has no charge. Like, is she so rich that- She's just going to throw it away? She's just going to throw it away? Or like- or I don't so know, unkind. Help someone? Yeah, like yeah. you lost your phone. Let me help you out. No, I'm just gonna throw it in this dirty diaper trash can. This hat is too hot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm gonna put it over here. It'll even be a decoration. So too warm even now that we've ended October and entered October. October. I don't yeah, understand. People have been calling it October because oh, it was too hot. Like August. Yeah, and okay. we finally made October great again. Yeah, and got we some did. Rain. It was because of us and yes. the shirt that we produced. Um so uh yeah, so we're doing we're doing our Halloween episode. Welcome everyone to Between Lewis and Lovecraft Halloween flash fiction special. Uh we have an audience watching us, which is always the best. Hi, mom. Not a joke. <laughs> uh, not a joke at all. Uh, I I set her up with like our fanciest chair, uh, the the fur out there. She she's got some she's snacks got and water. Like yeah, I set her up. This is gonna be the best show for her, if anybody. Um, and for you guys, so we're doing this as a podcast. Obviously, we are a podcast, but what? we're also recording uh, video. So the plan is that I'm gonna take it and uh, use up whatever free time I have to produce yet more Halloween content for you guys. And then uh, on Halloween day, October 31st, we should be releasing this video so that if you guys listen to the podcast, you can re-listen to it and watch us talk. <laughs> uh, that's that's pretty much the entire uh, point of that. So, um, and yeah. In true Halloween episode fashion, I have not heard any of these stories yet, so I'm very excited. Um, I know we got a lot of great submissions, and I think we actually we we, we put a limit yeah. on the number that we could produce and play on the show because honestly, we get so many submissions now that if we played them all, it would be like a three plus hour yeah show. And I just don't have that much time, unfortunately. But we did we did have to cut a few stories. And if you submitted a story and you don't hear it here today, don't fret. It's it's okay. We are still producing those stories and the plan is to release those 
it with other episodes that we do. We've constantly talked about how we want to include flash fiction and short stories into our every other episode, our chill episodes. Um, so this actually gives us a little bit of material to start doing that more regularly. So um, there are a few people that unfortunately we weren't able to get it produced in time or we just, you know, we had to cut some stories to, to make this episode a little bit shorter. Those will still be used at some point and we will let you know when those are put into an episode. Um, so uh, I just, I, I want to say again, as a big Thank you. I got to move some stories back because we keep talking. Um, <laughs> a big thank you to everyone who's been involved. Uh, we've got uh, new authors that are writing to us. We've got authors that wrote to us before and they wrote to us a year ago with their story because they were on top of it. Um, and and lots of really fun new stories coming in. Um, it, it felt like the last couple of years were like all trying to be extremely scary. And this year we, we get to break away from that a little bit. There are some really scary stories in here. Some, some existential ideas that are coming to light. Oh, just what I need. <laughs> yeah. But, um, there are also stories that kind of just celebrate Halloween itself or the kind of the, the feel of the year. Um, and I really appreciated working on those stories. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then we have a lot of uh, different talent helping us read. Um, and I, I can't thank you guys enough for your time uh, to the cast of Fables of Refuge. We have uh, Jarrett Sullivan. We have Jess Ayers. We have Allie Fitzgerald and Carter Michael all coming back. Like, that's insane. It's, it's so cool that they're willing to come back every year and help me out. And they've helped me kind of fine tune this process with like, Hey, this is, this is how we, you should do it. And it, they really helped me out. So you guys are great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have new, uh, readers from another show called unbalanced encounters. Um, Patrick, Emily, uh, and Sam, all read for us and they did an absolutely fantastic job i'm so excited we have mason oh, who awesome. has written and read for us before um john uh, a good friend of mine john curtis read for us so lots of people returning uh and coming back and we're i think we're really starting to dial it in as far as the production and how we want it to sound and and all that jazz so um i think it's worth us getting into the first story unless there's anything else you wanted to say hannah no let's hear it i am excited okay let me try and get my mouse to work again because we're a little bit further away than the wireless receiver wants to work oh my <laughs> gosh this is tedious our first story is written by aaron hurst who has written a oh, short yeah. story for us before um and uh, man this this is really gonna bug me because i gotta stretch to get it away. Okay. Uh, Aaron Hurst wrote Field of Trees, and he wanted to, he sent in an email with uh, quite a bit of, of little information that I thought was really good. Um, first of all, Aaron, thank you for sending in your work. He says, fun facts. First, I wrote Tick uh, Tick, Tick uh, around five years ago, and that's right. the story he submitted last year, read by uh, JT. And A Field of Trees is the first story I've written since Tick Tick, and I'm happy to have written a new one for BLNL. Thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad that um, you felt inspired to write 
after a five-year hiatus. Um, Thank you for the first time ever. I kept a New Year's resolution, so well done. Uh, If you guys want to submit stuff like that to us, always feel free. Um, uh, Please give a a thanks to my glittery space angel of a wife being my editor. Also, more fun facts, I lived on a Christmas tree farm for a few years as a teenager. I'll stand by these claims until sense is made to them or I die. I really saw a shadowy figure on the road one night, and I really saw a crouched figure among the trees, though only once. And I really did hear voices every time I took a walk. I heard and saw many strange things out there. So as we get into that, let's uh, hear... Field of Trees by Aaron Hurst, read by Carter Michael. As a few small wispy clouds hung still in the blue sky, the summer day was beginning to warm. Evan sat on a stump at the top of a hill overlooking the property he lived on, 30 acres of Christmas trees. He was renting a house on the farm. He took in the scenery, trying to find some semblance of peace. It was quiet. A soft breeze brought cool air to his face. The smell of pine was abundant. It was relaxing after the 15-minute walk from one end of the trees to the other. He took a deep breath and closed his eyes trying not to think of all the things that had been happening. Evan was often walking among the trees to sit at the top of the hill or just to pass the time. It wasn't long before he started noticing strange things. He couldn't not think about it, the voices he'd hear, unable to find anyone or even tell what was said. Sometimes he recognized the voice. He would see things soon after. While walking along the gravel road one night, he saw a shadow standing beside the trees. He moved closer and it would move silently behind a tree and out again when he backed away. He couldn't tell who it was and they wouldn't answer his call. He decided to rush it, but nobody was there. Most unsettling of all was when, during daylight, he caught a glimpse of something. A decrepit figure crouched in the trees, staring at him. It looked dead with white, withered skin and sunken dark eyes in its big head. It was for just a second as he walked, and his view became blocked by a tree. He jumped back instantly to see it, but it was gone. Only a space where a tree had once been was there. He wasn't doing a good job of not thinking about it. He would catch sight of the figure once in a while at a distance, and he was hearing things every time he went out now. Still, he had enjoyed being in the trees and became somewhat addicted to going out just to hear or see something, though it was beginning to wear on him. He began feeling as if it was coming for him, wanting to hurt him. He thought of the book and how he should have never opened it. Evan found it on one of his walks. It was in a wooden box, buried with just enough edge sticking up to notice. A small rusted lock kept the heavy box closed, though quick work was made to open it. Evan smashed it on a rock. He was puzzled when he saw the small book, recalling how a moment ago the weight of the box gave him the impression that it must be something large. Sure enough, when Evan picked the book up, he was surprised by its heft. It was an inch or so thick, about three by four inches, and it was very old. Wrapped in worn brown leather with little black spots of mildew tattered inside and out. The book contained dirt-stained pages with odd drawings and writings he could not read. When he had opened it, 
Evan thought he heard a distant cry of agony and wind blew so swift and sudden that he fell, pushed over from his crouched position. He took the book inside, wiped it down, and put it on top of a shelf, giving it very little thought again. That's about when things started happening, he realized. He considered burning it. Maybe that would help. Or make things worse. Evan suddenly became aware that the gentle breeze had stopped and the sun was warm on his face. He finally opened his eyes and continued to look out over the trees, all in uniform rows, mostly uniform height and uniform color. Even with everything going on, he still felt at ease at the top of the field. There was a small pond around the halfway point that he liked to sit by occasionally and thought he might do that. Standing up to stretch while on top of the hill, he realized he was seeing something in the trees. Far off, near his house, there was the frantic movement of a figure, its arms flailing around above its head. Evan had a sense of dread, dropping back to the stump for a moment in disbelief. The only thing he could clearly tell about it was how pale the figure was, and he knew it had to be the same thing he'd been seeing. The figure stopped for a moment, and it appeared to Evan that the thing was looking around. He stood up again to watch. It faced his house, remained still for a moment, and ran, throwing its arms up in the air, straight for Evan's house. He watched in frightful wonder as the figure crashed through the back door, actually ripping it off its hinges like nothing. Before he knew it or truly understood why, Evan was running as fast as he could back home. Whipping past trees and nearly falling several times, he got across the seemingly endless rows of Christmas trees in what felt like a brief moment. His heart was pounding, his lungs ached and burned, but he was still running. Thinking he might catch it or avoid getting caught, he went around to the front of the house. A large window had already been smashed. Evan very slowly opened the front door. The house was a mess. Everything had been destroyed. His couch torn and overturned, TV broken, walls had massive scratches, his table broken in half. The kitchen had every cupboard demolished, broken plates and fridge doors, and the sink on the floor. Water dribbled out of the plumbing. Evan found his room in the same state. The bed frame looked like kindling, and the mattress was ripped in two, clothes everywhere, a bookshelf knocked over and sticking out of the window. It was at that moment he finally thought of the book. Scanning the floor, he found nothing. He ran to the shelf, but it wasn't there. He looked out the window and finally saw the book on the ground right below the window in a shrub. Evan jumped out and in one movement grabbed the book and took off running for the trees. Holding the book up above his head, he mustered all his strength, halted right at the tree line and chucked it as far as he could manage. It sailed through the air and out of sight in the trees. Standing there, catching his breath, Evan heard a distant yell. Thank you. Two things never happened after that. Evan never went out in the trees again, and he never got his security deposit back. It's a real shame about the security deposit. Like, <laughs> I know, right? Really, that's what I would have a been A monster comes about. <laughs> and destroys your house, and then you have to pay for it. No, I loved that story. Um, I it, thought I thought it was a perfect opening story. Uh, Aaron did a great job of telling that you know spooky feeling, and it incorporates like the the grimoire trope 
that yeah. we see so it's, often it's, in like Lovecraftian. I was gonna works. say it's yeah. almost Lovecraftian. Like Aaron, you hit it on the head. It, it's very like this mysterious thing from beyond that that you have just a glimpse of, right? Like not even. Oh, I fought the monster. It was like, no, you you're lucky that you didn't fight yes. the monster. Yes. <laughs> you did um, not want to fight that monster. You you did such a good job at that. Um and that was read by Carter Michael of Fables of Refuge. Mm-hmm. Um holy shit, Carter hit it out of the out of the, I don't know, out of the box, out of the ring, out of the, <laughs> the, box, the arena. Out of the park. I don't know what it is. I'm not a sports <laughs> Insert ball sports guy. Sports metaphor here. Um Carter is amazing. He's come back three times now to read. I think he maybe even read for the sci-fi episode. I think he did too. Yeah. It wasn't my project, so I don't remember. I I only remember the Halloween ones. (laughs) No, but he has the the perfect voice for for reading these stories. And it's just like effortlessly creepy. His voice is perfect for Lovecraft. Carter, just start reading Lovecraftian books and putting them out. I will listen (laughs) to them. I'm not even joking. You should do that. You should be an audiobook narrator. Call me if you need a uh, production guy. Um, You can find his uh, TikTok. He actually does TikToks. He's like doing all the dances and the the stuff. He's a fun (laughs) guy. Uh, It's Coach Carter Michael is what you'd look up on TikTok. Awesome. Um, And he has also written a comic book called Deity. And oh, he's been trying to that. promote that a little bit and get that out in the world. So way to go, Carter. Um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. I'm in, I'm excited to see all the stuff that he does. I'm I'm glad that he's a friend of the show and that we get to kind of shout him out a little bit, you know. So thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Carter. You guys both did a great job. Maybe team up and start your own podcast. <laughs> we do a matchmaking service here on Between <laughs> Lewis and Lovecraft. <laughs> yeah, the the podcast matchmaking service is what we do. Um, so our next story is a story from um, Dave Lowe, and it is um, it is entitled Gettysburg Gold. And I like oh. this one because it's it's not so scary. It feels not. This is not a jib. Uh, I genuinely love these movies. It feels kind of like a kid's Halloween story. Oh. Like I literally just watched last yesterday. I watched. Um, Hubie Halloween and um, The Curse of Bridge Hollow on Netflix. Oh, I haven't seen either. Are those like little kid Halloween no, movies? No, they're like teenage. teenager. Oh, okay. And this kind of feels, it got it has kind of the Stranger Things feel to it a little bit. So I, seriously, it's not it's not a dig. I'm not saying you did a bad job. I'm just saying it, it, that's, it kind of celebrates Halloween a little bit more than does the scariness. Um, uh, sorry, I lost my place. Dave Lowe, uh, Dave Lowe, Kozad, Kozid, I am very sorry, Dave. I'm bad at last names. You can ask Mason. Um, is a graduate of Willamette University and the University of Massachusetts Eisenberg School of Management. His novels, Ooh. short stories, book reviews, and other works can be found at Library 8. Uh, um, this is all spelled out words, by the way, not numbers. Library88.com. Cool. So, uh, some you know some cool author is actually sending cool stories in so let's hear it dave (laughs) here is dave lowe's uh gettysburg gold nice drop today alex richie the most obnoxious kid at gettysburg elementary said I, of course, had to stick up for my friend. What's your problem, Richie? Is this how you treat all your teammates? Or just us? 
We had just played a game of touch football in our final period. At least PE was our final period today on account of it being Halloween. You two don't classify as teammates, Nate. Believe it or not, teammates are people who help your team win, Richie shouted for all to hear in the locker room. I'm glad I won't have to deal with losers like you two when I'm starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. A subtle chuckle echoed throughout the locker room, but I was the only one brave enough to speak up. You play for the Eagles? Is that what your costume is? That's right, I'm going as an Eagle, a dress rehearsal of sorts. Where are you dorks going as? Union soldiers, Alex, not usually one to use his voice, said with pride. If the locker room wasn't chuckling before, they were howling now. What, you can barely walk in a straight line, let alone march with an army? You're not even strong enough to be drummer boys, Richie said with a sneer. The Union's lucky you didn't live here during the war. You would have cost them a victory. I slammed my locker and said, we'll see who's laughing tonight when we get the king-size candy bars from the Jefferson house. Later that evening. So, how will we make it to the Jeffersons first? Alex asked as we began our trek. I heard they only have two king-size bars this year. We're gonna have to take the most direct route we can, I answered. But that would mean going through the Devil's Den. Alex, do you want the king-size or not? I said. It's our only chance of beating Richie to the Jefferson's house. We took off, riding our bikes as fast as possible while wearing our Union uniforms. But as we prepared to zip through the Devil's Den, I saw something strange, something shimmering beneath one of the rocks. Hold up, what's that? I don't know, Nate, and I'm not interested in finding out. I, I think it's a coin. I got off my bike and slowly approached the object. Don't do it! Don't get any closer, Nate! It looks like a piece of gold, I said as I crept closer and reached out my hand. Ah! I screamed and yanked my hand back. As soon as my fingers touched the coin, I'd swear something grabbed my wrist, something like a hand, but made up of bone. I flailed on the ground. My blue uniform pants made a ripping noise as my knee scraped against the jagged rocks that made up the devil's den. Come on, I yelled to Alex as I jumped on my bike. To my utter shock, the gold coin was still in my hand. I'd somehow managed to hang on to it. We pedaled like our lives depended on it for what felt like a mile before pulling off the side of the trail, right where the Jefferson's long, private driveway began. They were so particular about their driveway that bikes weren't allowed. You had to park them outside the gate. What is it? Alex asked. Shh. Keep it down, I instructed. I think it's a piece of gold from the Civil War, I whispered as we went to park our bikes, at which time we saw a row of other bikes. I'm sorry, Alex. If I wouldn't have stopped, we may have gotten the king. What up, losers? Richie walked past us, his mouth caked with chocolate. You don't need to apologize, Nate, Alex said as Richie got on his bike and headed for the next house. What no one knows is, we're the winners tonight. Alex grabbed the gold coin and spun it in his fingers for the first time. That was awesome. Yeah. I wanted to do something super like Stranger Things with that. Uh, yeah, good choice on the music, but that was great. I liked the um, the intensity of the race to get the king-size candy bars. Yeah. You know, throw, throws it back to Halloween for all of us when we right. were kids. It's like everybody wants that. But then you throw in a little bit of... Of, of ghosty, yeah, ghostiness. Like, what, what grabbed his arm? What gave him the gold? Yeah. And what are they going to do with it now? Yeah. They're going to go buy a shit ton of... Of king-size king candy, candy bars. <laughs> Do you know how many King Cats I can get with this? That was great. And um, Mason Mosteller did a, a fantastic job with it, too. I think his voice was perfect for that story. So there you go again with the matchmaking. Yeah. Um, it was... Uh, he's got a voice that kind of fits... Not that he's like... He sounds adolescent, but he sounds like someone... 
I don't know how to say this in a way that's not creepy. He sounds like someone that does well with younger voices. Oh, yep. That's the Sounded least creepy. creepy way I could say it. <laughs> um, no, he has a great tone for that kind of and story. Like, honestly, kind of fun. He's, he's done other stories for us before where he's able to fit his voice uh, pretty damn well. I think he did like a sci-fi one. He did a sci-fi one. And I can't perfect. remember whose. I think it might have been Curtis's story that he did, but it was also kind of like a fun um, not silly, but like just. I need to quirky. give him something scary. Yeah, I've we, never given him something scary. We have to try him out on an actual horror story. Yeah, um, if you guys are interested in checking out uh, Mason's work, he's been he's been uh, trying to figure out a bunch of stuff lately um, with his past projects. And what I'm really excited about is he's streaming now. He's doing some streaming on his own, um, and you can check out his new show, uh, Tending Bubbles. TTV on Instagram um, and that'll get you to everything that he's doing so definitely go check him out if you like listening to his voice then listening to his voice while he plays video games is (laughs) like why not it just makes sense Um, our next story was sent to us by a new uh, a new contributor um, someone that I met and it it was the weirdest uh, situation where I started listening to this new show, uh, Unbalanced Encounters, um, and I ended up becoming the host of their kind of their sideshow. Uh, that sounds, side it's show, not Bob. a sideshow. It, it's like they're, they're ex, it's their, their behind the scenes show, I guess, where we talk about their characters and their process on it. I mentioned that I'm an, I'm in Portland um, and he is a listener of that show. And he's actually now one of their community managers. He's, he does a really good job. Um, his, his name on there, I know him as Elderberry. Like <laughs> I don't know his real, I know his real name, but I don't call him that at all. Uh, he is Elderberry, and we became friends over this thing. And then I noticed that he's um, he works for an electrician company. And I was like, "Hey, who do you work for?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm just a low volt technician." I was like, "I'm a low volt technician." <laughs> oh my god! So we are two low volt technicians in Portland who love writing and D and D. What a small world! Right? Talk about matchmaking, <laughs> Elderberry. What's up, dude? So he wrote a story and sent it in. Did um, he submit it under his real name or is it still just Elderberry? I'm going to call him Elderberry. I'm not even going to put his real name out there because genuinely I don't know if he wants us to. <laughs> so I just know him as Elderberry and it's Barry with an A, not an E. I don't know if that's a thing or not. Oh, but it, like it Barry strikes... from the HBO show? Yeah, like Batty. Yeah. Batty. Um, so this is his story uh, called Pecked. Pecked. I think it's relevant to everybody in the Pacific Northwest. So. Ooh. Peck. 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 That's all they ever do. Peck. Peck. Pen. No. There has to be something more to this. I've watched these damn feather balls too long. I need to focus. I need to go over the facts. Something not right with these chickens. Okay. This is what happened. Late last night, Ma heard an odd noise coming from near the coop. You went out to check. You've been up in my room smoking and didn't want to go. You were too high. You couldn't, uh. No. Stop it. You saw what you saw. We don't work like that. Okay. You went out to the coop. Saw blood up by the fence. 
blood itself wasn't the weird part. It was what it was doing. Yes. It started at the fence. He followed it toward the coop's door. The fox must have gotten an easy kill and headed in. Yeah. Yeah. Weird? Definitely. But unheard of? Definitely not. Focus. He followed the trail of blood to the coop door. There was a lot of blood. Too much. The closer you got, you heard a low guttural humming noise. Yes. He gripped the bat you were holding and opened the door slightly and the hum became ten times louder. He instantly shut it again. The sound sent pins and needles from the top of your head down to the crack of your ass. No. You could do this. It's just a fox. Or a coyote. Puff up, stomp around, scare the living shit out of that fucking thing and be done with it. You have this. It's more scared of you than you are of it. Fuck. Why did we have to move out of here instead of living in the city? Stop. You're getting distracted again. Breathe. Breathe. Okay. You nutted up. Let's do this. You rushed in and... You rushed in and... Oh. Doesn't make any sense. You couldn't have seen that. The, the shit is some fucking weird-ass horror movie bullshit, and it must have been a dream. You didn't see it. Your life is normal. Your life is normal. Breathe. Uh, you... I'm disassociating. I saw this. I was there. I need to process. What did I see? I rushed to the door and let out a large roar, beating the bat heavily down to the floorboards, only to be met with a room filled with a hum and still as death. Finally looking at what was in front of me, my mind snapped. It was hard to see in the dim light, but the chickens were out of their boxes. Five of them had circled around a figure on the ground, laying in a gleaming pool. Humming noise was coming from them. A prolonged and unending start of a cluck that would never seem to reach that usual snapped-off conclusion. Their beaks were pointed toward the ceiling, unopened. Their eyes... Their eyes were glowing like amethysts with dull flashlights behind them. I, my noise hadn't disturbed them one bit. Confused and uneasy, I straightened myself up and hesitantly flipped on that light switch. I, I really wish I had Lying in a pool of Rome blood in the middle of all this was Ma. Her neck slipped from ear to ear. Her nightgown torn to ribbons, her eyes were closed, her hands cradling her belly, which was torn open. Intestines held in by her forearms like a bundle of fresh laundry. Just 
symbols. Symbols carved across any visible skin. But the thing etched into my mind the most was that smile on her kind, wrinkled face. Curled over and vomited. It was only then that I noticed that the humming had stopped. Uh, only then I looked up to see all the hens staring in my direction. Their eyes still as bright as when the lights were off. Only then that I noticed Ma looking at me. Her eyes open, but missing. I felt the color drain from me. I had to run. I did run. I slammed the door behind me. I ran inside the house, grabbed the shotgun, took the stairs two at a time. Now I'm here. Staring out my window at the coop. Shotgun resting on my thighs. Nails chewed down the nubs. No sleep and watching the pink fill the horizon. I hear Ma. She just called me down to breakfast. What do I do now? Yeah. That was so scary. Yeah. I was not expecting any of that. I didn't expect chickens to scare me so much. Oh, my gosh. I liked how <laughs> um, about halfway through, he took kind of like the the Lovecraft um, style of like, I saw something too horrible to even describe. Yeah. And yeah. then when he described it, I was just like, oh, that is oh, not what I was picturing. And, describe it now. <laughs> and those descriptions were amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I was on the edge of my seat for all of that. Yeah, it was. I mean, it, it started out for me. It started out a little bit slow. You know, he's trying to work in the atmosphere and and kind of the tense that he's that he's building, right? Like me talking to myself, right? And I thought it was. I thought it was really well done taking that time to do it. But I'm like, all right, let's get to the scary stuff, right? And then once it started, I'm like, oh shit, oh okay, no, this is scary, like. <laughs> Your mom is just dead out in the barn with a bunch of chickens clucking around her. Terrifying. It's terrifying. Ooh. Well done, Elder Barry. Yeah, good job, Barry. Um, that was read by Jarrett Sullivan, um, which if you listened it. to our show before, you would recognize his voice. He is the dapper DM of uh, Refuge, um, Fables of Refuge, and he is fantastic. Um, and... He recently texted me to get information on the characters that we created two years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, because apparently they're going to make a, an appearance soon. Oh, cool. So um, if you guys uh, are interested in, if you can go back and, and listen to the episode or even watch it on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. Yeah, the correspondence we did with Jarrett. Where we actually built characters and um, he's going to use them as as characters in his world. So... Apparently that's going to happen in this new season of, of Fables of Refuge. So that's pretty sweet. Pretty dope. If you guys want to follow him and all the cool stuff that he does, you can check him out on Instagram at Jarrett Sullivan. That's J-A-R-R-E-T Sullivan. Um, and you definitely should because he's doing a lot of cool stuff with Fables. Time for our next story. You ready? Do you need a I break? I Are think we... I need a break after that one. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. <laughs> And this one gets crazy, too. This was written by Alfred Smith. Oh, yep. 
I know it's going to be scary. Yeah, he's written a lot of stuff for us before. Um, This is called Ever at My Shoulders. Um, Your listeners and contributors can check out my horror flash fiction at um, nightshadestories.com and horror-themed poetry at blackquillpoetry.com. So this guy... He knows what he's about. He knows what he's doing. He's no, yeah. He's he's getting. He's we're gonna go okay. ahead and jump right into it. So I'm ready. Here we go. When mother died, I inherited the staff with the strange symbol surrounded by a circle at the top. She told me I'd take charge of her familiars, not yet fully grown. I didn't think I was ready, so I told her on her deathbed that I wanted to banish them, but she wouldn't hear of it. They will come to guard you in the dark times, my child. You were a witch. There were never any other kinds of times. I left the thought unsaid, despite the seed of panic planted in my gut. Live in the darkness? That's what witches do, she said, reading my thoughts before she drifted off to sleep, taking her last breath sometime in the small hours of the morning. My childhood was a running blend of sudden noises and restless shadows. The stuffy cottage air was always laced with scents of carrion and cinnamon, lavender, spoiling fruits and wilted flowers. There were things in thick, dusty jars that thrashed around trying to escape, pinging against the glass. Other things crawled, slithered, and mewled until their throats were raw, rending claws that disemboweled and severed limbs with gory precision. As bad as those were, when the ritual candles were finally extinguished, it was the things with glowing eyes that gave me nightmares. As I grew, the sun lost warmth, and all I remember was the light that even now seemed veiled behind perpetual clouds. I became despondent, neglecting the cottage and then the herbs in the garden. Each night I covered the things with glowing eyes that would narrow with hate as I climbed into bed, still watching me, still glowing, just hazed over by the rags draped over their jars. It offered no real comfort, but somehow convinced myself that I was safer. By day, I pored over the books, desperate for a way out. And in doing so, I neglected my innocence as the spells I read latched onto me. And with each passing season, the familiars grew older and stood closer to me, surrounding me, waiting for commands or food all the while watching my hand that held onto the staff like a lifeline in turbulent waters. Their oily, rancid spirits oozed into my dirt-filled pores, and ethereal cords of attachment formed like spider silk. At first, it was pleasurable thrilling, like a warm blade pressed to a sensitive spot that made you tingle, even as it frightened you. 
And then it became an aching throb that only the strongest of dubious brews or potent alcohol could drive away. I couldn't stop it. And soon it didn't matter anymore. Now it's become everything. We're all grown now, these familiars and I. A family of strangers, eager to explore the world to see what we can offer it and take what it offers to us. And as our powers grow, we can also take what it wants to keep from us. But I must ever guard the staff because these creatures are ever at my shoulders. And if they take it as their prize, the world we know will become one we won't survive and can't escape. So, they wait for that moment, even as they follow me. And two always keep watch when the rest sleep. Seems Mother cursed me after all, but then again, she was a witch. And that's what witches do. You know, I feel like you can really tell Alf- Alfred is a poet in his writing style because his yeah. descriptions are so like unique and enchanting and also the flow of it has like a sing-song quality. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool putting like I I tried a few different songs to put on, you know, like the classic you want to have like the <laughs> thing. It didn't work. Nothing worked with that. And the way that Patrick read it, it was somber. It was it was sad. And I almost when reading it, it was one thing, right? Because I'm reading it for the horror that it is. Listening to it as Patrick read it, you almost can see, and I'm a metaphor guy. If you don't know that, go listen to our, <laughs> listen to our Frankenstein. Frankenstein episode. Um, you can almost get the sense that these beings, these spirits, these familiars are the the guilt and the grief that the person is going through um, at the loss of their mother. Yeah, like is it a literal monster ever right. at your shoulder or, or your inner turmoil? And as a poet, he probably was all like, oh, let me just be a genius and do both. Freaking Alfred. Um, anyway, so then I put sad music behind it and I'll, it it worked. It was exactly what it needed. And then I could throw some scarier stuff underneath mm-hmm. that. But yeah, it was it was so good to have something sad because it is a sad story. And that was read by Patrick from Unbalanced Encounters. Yeah. So this is our first reader from Unbalanced Encounters. This is Patrick Perini. He is the dungeon master of that show and the mastermind mastermind behind the whole thing i mean they they the whole crew does everything like they they do a lot um but it's patrick that i feel is has done uh, most at least in what i've Listener connected perspective. with yeah um so patrick is amazing um uh, he is high energy ready to take on the world and I'm there for it. I love it. I absolutely love it. We had Patrick and Emily on our show on a correspondence episode and talking to them was uh, amazing because they, they're just super real, super friendly, fun people who are doing what we're doing. We're trying to put out content that we love. And we also are super real. Yeah, we try to be super real. 
Um, but if you are interested in checking out Patrick's work, the, the best way that you can do that is by going to unbalancedencounters.com. Um, there you're going to meet the whole cast and crew and you can go and, and follow more of Patrick's stuff. He's, he's an author as well. Um, and he's got some stuff out there that he's trying to get published. So, uh, any support on that end would be good for him, uh, because I know what it's like to be someone just trying to get your work out there. So, uh, Patrick, really well done job at reading a very well written story. 100%. Yeah. So Hannah, where's your story? Um, well, about that, Tyler, um, it's just been a really busy oh it's been busy for you yeah busy for you i've had a lot going on okay you've had a lot going i'm sorry i started this process (laughs) three months ago and i and i got a story in there like i just didn't have enough warning ahead of time like yeah you only had six months i didn't know this episode was coming up oh man okay so all right dog ate my my homework I don't believe it. I think you wrote something. We're, we're going to find that while we play this next story, um, which is written by Brianna Fenty. Yeah. Uh, our our favorite. Um, we don't have favorites, but <laughs> you just she said is our she's favorite. Our favorite. <laughs> uh, we don't show favoritism, but Brianna is our favorite. I, I love Brianna. Her work <laughs> is always amazing. She's got great hair, just total girl crush all around. Um, So she is uh, an author that has been contributing to our show since the beginning um, and has been absolutely wonderful. And we're really excited for her because her first book is coming out next year. Uh, Hen House Syndrome is planned to be published by Bloodhound Books in April. I'm so excited because I remember when I had her on for correspondence, like two years ago I want to say yeah it was close she was to... starting the process of looking for an agent and kind of like trying to trying to find that book a home and yeah. I'm so excited to finally be able to read it yeah so um she's she's living the dream um she'd probably tell you differently but uh, we all are jealous and if you want to follow her adventures as an author you can check her out on Instagram at dryshark underscore writes. Um, and she posts creepy stuff all the time because that's what she does. She's a creepy person, and <laughs> I feel so blessed to have her in my life to creep me the fuck out. So I read this story. Oh. Yeah, because I ha- I made time for it, Hannah. <laughs> I read this story because I, I read it, and I was like, I'm stealing this. I, I want this for me because I loved it so much. So... I did like four takes of this stupid thing. Um, So if it's bad, I apologize, but I loved how it turned out. So enjoy the story that is called This House Hates You by Brianna Fenty. I can't sleep in my house anymore. I'm, I'm afraid of it's gonna do to me. Perhaps I shouldn't use possessives. It's never really my house. Never really anyone's house. This house singularly, utterly, and absolutely belongs to itself. Architectural autonomy. It breathes, you know. The house, (laughs) you can feel it breathe. Air, 
whistles between the vents, hisses through the drafts in the windows that don't lock, gasps beneath the midnight spaces under every slightly crooked door. The walls expand, the floors stretch like cats and exhales through the cellar, all cobwebs and mold. Every breath finds me. They lick of my ears. One big wooden lung. But the anatomy of the house, of, of every house, is incomparable to the human body. It's not just only a lung, but a stomach, a liver, a bowel. A static, land-born jellyfish. Its stingers invisible in the light of day. Every door, a mouth, every hall, a throat, eyes, and every keyhole. Crevice and hairline crack, watching. There's only really one similarity, that is, between the body and the house. It is alive, and this house hates you, regrets that you were ever born, and it may seek to remedy the fact to suck you into a suffocating sheetrock or swallow you down between the floorboards into an ancient crawl space with no air a dark vacuum this house is sick with a disease I, I don't understand I was was it built this way when the foundations were laid was the cancer already festering deep in the lumber I don't I don't, I don't think so I think, like people, it, it learned to hate, loved and lived in, and then abandoned, desolate, left to rot. Perhaps that's the disease. The homeless house. The house will no doubt destroy this letter. My warning to any who might approach its blackened door, its anger has direction, motive. It is deliberate in its cruelty. And I can't blame it, really. We did this to it, after all. We left the house empty without purpose. A mother robbed of children to keep warm and safe at night. And so it seeks to make the same of us, to hollow us out and to whittle us thin the boil us down to yellow jiggling fat with no orifice from which to scream to make us forgotten swept from memory for the kadzu dead leaves and millipedes to reclaim as the house was I wish you luck though I I know you'll find none within these quiet spewing eyes Already the house plans your end. Can't you hear it thinking? The errant whispers, the ghostly touches, the ice on the nape of your neck trailing down your spine. A cold that you can't seem to shake. It's part of you now. A tumor you can't excise. <laughs> Don't listen to the doctors. <laughs> this isn't in your head. You may be doomed, but maybe... Maybe you could take solace in knowing that your mind has not betrayed you. I did. For a little while. 
And if you do happen to find this letter intact somehow, dear reader, please. Please. Set this house on fire. Burn it all down. Holy cow. Yeah, right? Holy cow. That, I feel like that is, um, it really epitomizes Brianna's style. She has this knack for like claustrophobic and kind of dreamlike writing. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me so much of her story from last year, Laporidae. Yeah. It had that same creepy like is the narrator insane quality to it? Are, yeah. are they truly experiencing something that can't be explained? She nailed it. She nailed it. It's great. This she did is a why perfect job. we are jealous of yeah. Brianna all the time. It's why I <laughs> loved reading her story. It gave me a chance to to play around with going and going insane while writing a letter. Yeah, um, the production on that was great too. Don't think I didn't notice like the scribbling noises in the background. That so that was great. so so I recorded three takes uh, with Cameron, and um, he did the the scribbling. He made sure that that happened, uh, and then I came back in a couple nights ago with John Curtis, um, who will read a story in a, in a minute, and. Um, I realized listening through it, I was like, I just, I, I didn't quite do the the madness enough justice. So mm -hmm. I wanted to re-record it. Uh, so I did that, and then I changed the music a little bit. The scribbling stayed, and I thought it was absolutely perfect. I thought it was great. And then John was in the studio, and he wanted to listen to it. So he was in here, you know, with the headphones on, listening to it, and the microphone was just on. And he just started doing the noises. So all of those little really ah, those things, that's all John. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And he just basically listened through and just added stuff as he was listening to it. Oh, that's so cool. I assumed you like downloaded those from some sound that was, effect website. That was all John Curtis. So <laughs> that was go, John. that was production. That was Brianna wrote it. I read it three times four times. Cameron did production and John added sound effects. That wow. was a full production for that story, <laughs> um, which was just absolutely amazing. I, I loved it so much. Uh, obviously, I read it. So if you want to check out my stuff, twclawson.com. I wrote a book. You can go buy it there or something. Um, did you find your story? I was supposed to be looking for it. I, I was listening to Brianna's story. Oh, my gosh. Hannah, we, how are we going to throw it in? We're going to be like just – all right, fine, whatever. Ooh, I know I, you've got it. You're not no, going to lie to me and be like, oh, I don't have it. I didn't have time. You had three my months. My computer I know ate the story. I'm going to call Talon. I'm going to call your mom, <laughs> and I'm going to get her to give it to me. Um, so our next story is written by show friend – uh, Paul Davis. What's it called? The Ringmaster's Family. Ooh. Uh, Paul has submitted work to us before. He's even read for us before. Um, so it's cool to have him come back. 
He is a fantastic author who's got, I think, nine published books now. Jeez Louise, um, Paul. He, he, did, he has done a lot. Calm um, down. You can check out his stuff by looking on Amazon. You'd have to type in Paul R. Davis. I found this out. If you type in Paul Davis, it doesn't work because there's another Too Paul many Davis. Paul Davises. Uh, Paul R. Davis, though, and his work is, is really, really good. Um, what I enjoy from Paul is that he's an editor. And he's my editor, more specifically. So he does. He has to deal with my really shitty writing and has to make it sound slightly good. Um, and he has to pretend like it's good. He's like, oh, you're a good author. Like, well, Whatever. he doesn't have to. That just shows he's a nice <laughs> I'm guy. I'm paying him money. He better pretend like I'm a good <laughs> author. Um, he is always looking for new clients. So if you're an author and, and you're looking for an editor to be – uh, real with you and tell you what's good and what's not good. And trust me, he will tell you. Um, but is also very encouraging, very knowledgeable. You can always hit us up at lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com and we can help get you in touch with him if that's something that you're interested in. Um, I'm happy to be a kind of a middleman there to help Paul out. And if you're an author who needs a critical eye, then help you out as well. Uh, so this story is called The Ring Master's Family by Paul R. Davis. Hey, you need to buy a drink if you're at the bar, man. Joseph smiled, dreamy grey eyes twinkling. Well, I'll take a whiskey. The bartender mumbled pouring the drink. The piano player was a young woman, some college co-ed, but he knew better. He also wished she had hidden better. Then the music ended and the young woman stood, bowed and twirled to exit through the back. Joseph put down his whiskey, left a $20 tip, then left. In the alley, Joseph lit a cigarette puffing on it until the door saying employees only squeaked open. Ariel? The girl jumped, cascading chestnut hair jumping with her. No, she whispered. Yeah, he said dispassionately as he put out his cigarette. I, I paid my debt, she whimpered. Joseph sighed, jaw locking. There's no paying off this debt, Ariel. A price tag is put on freedom, but it's false hope. Tony snorts too much snow. Ron likes prostitutes. Alice loves hooch. Mary has four kids. Everyone else we got addicted to something, but she popped out her own financial problems. But I worked hard. I saved and left it in a chest for the ringmaster. He grabbed her arm. It makes you special. You shouldn't have signed up for the carnival. But there's no paying off the ringmaster. You came to him asking to escape your family. Congrats, you escaped him. Here's your new family. There's no escaping this one, honey. Ariel twisted, freeing her wrist, then stepping in a pothole. A sprained ankle sent her sprawling out onto the concrete. Tears streaked down her cheeks. Joseph hated this part of the job. He loved Ariel, as he loved everyone in his family but it was his job to make sure they were safe forever. Safe for the ringmaster. 
at the carnival, she was escorted to the ringmaster's wagon. It was gaudy, with gold-plated griffins on the corners, the panels a deep red. Joseph opened the door and dragged Ariel in, tossing her on a chair in front of the ringmaster's desk. Joseph went for the door to leave. No, the ringmaster said. You stay too. The ringmaster hid behind a mask, that of a harlequin, his head tilted at weird angles, his smile large and faux, teeth showing. Then his eyes, never blinking, always staring. (sighs) Fine, Joseph huffed, sitting down. Please, ringmaster, I I paid you. The begging shattered Joseph's heart. He hated this part. You paid me with money, pet. It was an allowance to my children, and my children never leave the nest. His voice shifted pitches rapidly. But no, no. You paid me. A whip cracked through the air as the ringmaster scowled. I'm sorry you misunderstood. I'm sorry that we couldn't get you into some vice that would eat up that allowance. Savers are horrible for the carnival. He scratched his neck. Joseph, what do we do with her? Should we kill her? Keep her from telling the others they're always part of my family? Goosebumps rippled across Joseph's skin and his heart sank. He wouldn't let Ariel die. Oh yeah, I think she learned her lesson. The whip cracked again. No, we must at least beat her and show my other pets. Yes, (laughs) remind them how the world will treat them. Saliva dripped down the ringmaster's chin as he giggled. They saw her coming in mostly okay, Joseph said, trying his best to sound dispassionate. You have a soft spot for my pet? Interesting. The ringmaster handed the whip to Joseph. Beat her until she bleeds. Beat her until you're over her the smile on the freak's face. The way he tilted his head in quick jerks, clasped hands reminding Joseph of a child waiting for a treat. It made his stomach turn. Joseph took the whip and cracked it. Ariel flinched. The stupid harlequin mask on the ringmaster's face cracked in half, revealing a twisted visage. The ringmaster covered his face, screaming inaudible words. Joseph grabbed Ariel's arm, but she stumbled on the sprained ankle. Joseph slung her over his shoulder and kicked the door open. The rest of the family was outside, slack-jawed. Everything okay? Tony asked. Just fine, Joseph responded, not stopping. Hey, Paul, where's the rest of the story, man? (laughs) Hey, man, when are you going to write that book, huh? 
because uh, that wasn't just a flash fiction. That wasn't just like a hey, here's a quick little story. That was you created a whole fucking world, man. I have so many questions. There's a whole story there. That's is, this is like a like a freaking Netflix show with the carnival and the lady and the guy and they're gonna run away and then what's gonna happen? It's gonna be dope. I completely adore the description of the monster in that story. The Harley Quinn. Yeah, it was just so unique and creepy, and Emily brought it to life. So, I don't know. I had chills. Yeah. Did not like. Uh, Let's talk about Emily. Emily Graymore was the reader, the narrator, the storyteller of that one. Uh, She is a voice actor, and she's a player on Unbalanced Encounters, so we're excited that she's that I've been able to convince her to come join the show, you know, do all that. Um, she's extremely talented and she does a lot of stuff on TikTok or when she has time to, she does stuff on TikTok. You can find her at Emily Gray Moore and that's M O O R E uh, Gray Moore. Um, <clears throat> she did such a good job reading that story. Um, and you were asking while we were listening, like, how is she so I good? I was like, why so is she, she just... so good? I'm offended at how good she is. Because she's from the UK. <laughs> it's the it's the accent. Um, you know, it's it's perfect. Everything, like, she can read literally any story. And, and it just sounds so much Us Americans are going to be like, this is amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love that story. I thought it was really, really good. Um, it felt like a full story. It didn't feel like a flash fiction at all. Yeah. You know, um, so. We're getting back to our habit of after every single one saying, like, where's the rest of the story? Yeah, I mean, you know, it happens when you get, <laughs> When you get an author like Paul, who is proficient at building story and plot, even in these shorter, you know, uh, vignettes and stuff, you, you're just left wanting more. Give me more. And I know he's not working on a book at the moment because he's talked to me about how he needs another book to work on. So This one. This this could be a good one. A guy going around having to collect all of the people back for the circus or whatever, and then he falls in love. Romeo and Juliet. Boom! <laughs> Call me up, Paul. Let me know, uh, you know when we're going to work on this. Our next story is written by a longtime contributor, um, Steve Kane. Awesome. He's contributed not just to our Halloween show and our sci-fi show, but he's like, sent in stories for us to read on our just our chill episodes mm-hmm. and and it seems like he's got just too many ideas because he's sending us stuff he's like does this work does this work and we're like this isn't a halloween one but we'll save this one for later yeah and- he also has like such a great variety of styles and ideas because he did the microwave one right yeah. that we saved for another episode because we were like it's not really creepy enough to be halloween but it is like an existential crisis yeah yeah um so steve is just like he is a machine. Well, and and it's a it's a very common theme for him to have these existential crises in their in his writing, and that's what we're going to see in this story. And uh, this also has John Curtis reading, um, and I and I'm saying it beforehand just because we John and I sat down, we did this story a couple of times, um, and you know we did like the whole scary voice happening, and it was just like it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, and then we tried just reading it normal and doing some accents and stuff. We landed on a noir feel <laughs> and it's, it's so perfect. 
Like we both sat out in the in the production area just listening to it and we're like, this is so perfect. So I just huge shout out to to Steve Kane for writing this noir Halloween existential crisis story and for John to like to be able to pull it off. So this is the faceless one by Steve Kane, read by John Curtis. Brian came home from work, set his briefcase down on the foyer, slipped off his black patent leather shoes and took off his face. Came off pretty easily once you got the hang of it. He hung the face by its mouth on a hook also in the foyer. He hung his keys next to his face on an adjacent hook. Next to the K95 mask he had to wear at work over his face. Brian stared at the upside down face for a moment if you could call what he did staring. He didn't have eyes to see with, per se, but he saw with his mind. The lips of the face were cracked and dry. He would remedy that with something humans called chapstick. He had seen co-workers apply the tubular moisturizer to their lips, so he figured it was already available. He would have to stop in at the convenience store in the morning to purchase a tube. The teeth on his face were perfect. They should be since he didn't eat or drink anything, in the human way, that is. No coffee, tea, cola to stain them, no nicotine to yellow them. Brian did have to wipe them down periodically to keep them from becoming dingy. He had found that a simple paper towel and a squirt of window cleaner worked well to keep his porcelain chompers in pristine condition. It had been another long day at the office where he was undercover. Working as an accountant, he had been chosen because he was good with numbers. Here he could learn about their customs, their strengths, and more importantly, their weaknesses. He missed home. Pluto was so far away. Earth was too warm even in Minnesota. The stars were different here. His family... <sighs> Brian let out a sigh through the slits in his face. Of course, Brian wasn't his true name. But it was the one he had been assigned for his mission. He hated it. He didn't think he was a Brian. He thought he was maybe a Chaz or a Morrison, but not a Brian. He let out another long sigh. Earth was not what he expected. The climate, the work, the environment, the people. Ugh, the people. He had been here for just six months and he was already seeing a therapist. He was lonely. He didn't know how to cope. He was getting irritable. He switched on the television. There was a demented-looking woman with bulging eyes screaming at an orange man. He didn't know who they were, but he assumed they were members of the world's government. He knew he should be learning, studying these people, but it was too banal. Brian walked into the kitchen, opened the refrigerator, and pulled out a beer. He used the powers of his mind to unscrew the cap. He poured the contents into a bowl and used the tips of his fingers to absorb the amber liquid into his body. It was cold and refreshing, and it made him shiver. He opened another bottle and poured it into the same bowl. From a drawer, he pulled out a bag of marijuana, placed a pinch into a separate bowl, and hovered his left hand over it. His fingers glowed, and the weed began to smoke. Brian carried his bowls 
into the living room and sat down to watch television. He switched from the arguing politicians to a show with a group of wealthy women, one of which used to be a male athlete. Brian absorbed his beer and inhaled the marijuana smoke. Six months on earth and he was already a druggie, an alcoholic, and was in therapy. Six months. It had already been too long. Maybe tomorrow he wouldn't put on his face. Maybe he'd let them see what he really was. Maybe he wouldn't go into work at all. Maybe he'd just sit on the couch, smoke, drink. Maybe watch reality TV or South Park. Yeah, that sounded pretty good. In the end, it didn't matter anyway. His mission was a waste. There was nothing to learn here. But at least the beer was good. I am deceased. <laughs> that was so good. Steve, like, the one of the challenges with writing within the 500 to 750 word constraints is that most of the stories don't end up having any sort of, like, character detail to them. Mm-hmm. But that's where I feel like Steve really shines is the, just All the, like, the minutiae. Like, yeah. he didn't feel like a Brian. <laughs> no, yeah, he felt like a Chaz. <laughs> yeah, that was so good. And I was, like, laughing out loud at the the ways that he alludes to current events without straight up saying them like I was chuckling at the the deranged lady yelling at the orange man and yeah. his description of the Kardashians mm-hmm. well done Steve yeah it was it was a really good story John did a really good job of reading it um, in that character voice he's got a great voice he did yeah. just cherry on top of that <laughs> whole story I, I, there's small things that he did that I really appreciate where like he kind of he would read the voice with a little ad sort of sound. And if you go back and listen to it, you can hear it every once in a while. And it, he really embodied that, that noir feeling of like talking to yourself over the, the, the images that are on the screen mm-hmm. sort of thing. So I thought it was, it was really, really well done. Um, and, uh, I'm excited to get that into the world. Now, John, um, Unfortunately, John did write a story for us, but we did have to cut it. Uh, he's one of the ones we had to cut. Um, so, John, I do apologize. He did a really good job reading that story as well. Um, he, oh, he read, read and his wrote own. it. Yeah. Cool. Um, but we will have that on another episode. So, don't worry, don't fret. We're gonna have that on there, um, and you guys will know as soon as we we um, put those out there. John just recently started. Uh, a TikTok account. He used to be the lead vocalist for um, a metal, hardcore metal band, uh, screaming and stuff. So um, he's taken a break from that because he became, he became a husband and then a father and then a father and then a father and then a father. So like he's he's been a little busy and, you know, he goes to school, he works full time. But he's recently started to try and get out into the world again, doing some vocal stuff, maybe some voice acting and things like that. So uh, literally just started it the other night um, and he he filmed a TikTok here at the studio. You guys can check him out. It's Screamer John 05. And John is J-O-N. No H. No H. So what Screamer a rebel. John zero five. He didn't on feel TikTok. like a John with an H. He felt like a John. I'm a John with no H. <laughs> no H for me. Um, okay, moving on to our next story. Uh, I gotta be honest. This one was probably my favorite one. You say that about all of the ones. But I love this. Is so 
atmospheric. This story's so good. I'm so excited about it. This was written by Michael E. Wilson Jr. He wrote this story. Before, right? Yeah. He wrote this story and he sent it in last November. Oh. So we've been sitting on this story for a year and it doesn't work in any other episode. It is a Halloween episode because it's about Halloween. And so it's like, it's so perfect. I loved it. Um, I'm excited for the reader who's going to read it. She does a perfect job. Let's go into it. It's called um, Century, A Century Apart, written by Michael E. Wilson Jr., read by Sam Oliver. Tristan, an orange Scottish fold, yawned a deep meow from under the footbridge. Returning to Earth for Hallow's Eve was a tiring trip for the old witch. The journey between realms and species always did a number on her back. 24 hours wasn't enough time with Edith. The spell hadn't worked out perfectly, but one day with Edith was worth a century of waiting. Above Tristan, dogs and their owners crossed the bridge. The sun peeked through the browning leaves. Centuries had passed, but the park didn't seem to change much. On the other hand, the people did. They dressed weird. Tristan saw a woman jogging in a skin-tight neon outfit while talking to herself like someone was beside her. Did modern people freely commune with the dead? It was looked down upon when Tristan did it. But maybe things were getting better. Maybe women could finally wear whatever they want and talk to whomever they pleased. Edith, a silver British short hair, purred as she laid on the dock watching the morning train round the Bronx cliff across the creek. She knew where to meet Tristan. They met under the oak tree once every hundred years, but she wanted a moment to herself. The dock was empty. Everyone was either in a rush or still asleep. Edith was going to take her time. 24 hours was plenty of time. The tide was low by the bridge. Tristan was able to scurry through the muck under it and into the park. She could see all the supernatural creatures who came to visit. They all came on their own will. They had unfinished business grandchildren to meet, lovers to tell goodbye. Tristan considered herself lucky. There was no unfinished business. There was only Edith. The creek was filled with lazy ducks that floated mindlessly. Edith's stomach growled. It was weird to feel hunger again. Almost every time she came back, she was hungry. She hadn't tried duck as a human. Would she enjoy it as a cat? She could drown jumping into the creek. Edith couldn't imagine dying again. Being burned at the stake for loving a witch 300 years ago was bold and progressive. Dying as a hungry cat was stupid. Especially she died before seeing Tristan. Edith got up on her paws, took a final look at the creek, and made her way to Tristan. It was time to see her woman. The old oak tree sat at the end of the park where the creek opened up to the Hudson River. 
The lovers used to sit there for hours when they were alive. Tristan would astonish Edith with her knowledge of alchemy. Edith would dazzle Tristan with her tenacity and wisdom. The orange cat sat under the tree and laid against its trunk. Walking on all fours wasn't as easy as it looked. She tried to walk on her hind paws like a human, but to no avail. She tried to walk on her front paws for Edith's amusement. The morning breeze blew through her fur, coercing her to close her eyes and relax. Rounding the corner, Edith saw her love laying against the old oak, her orange belly plump and furry. She giggled as she approached Tristan. Stirring, Tristan opened her eyes and smiled. Here was her reason to live. One hundred years, and you haven't aged a day, Tristan cooed. My love, a thousand years from now will only be ten days, Edith explained. To obtain something, something of equal value must be lost, Tristan cautioned. You've already given your life, dear, is that not enough? Edith queried. For you, I'd give my soul, Tristan proudly proclaimed. Now I see why it had yeah. to be for Halloween. Yeah, it's a Halloween story. It's, it's a Halloween love story. It was one of the most beautifully written stories we've ever gotten. With cats. With cats. Witch cats. Witch cats. Oh. That was so good. It was so good. Um, and Michael, I won't consider you a month late for the old episode. You're 11 months early for yeah, this episode. I think that's what his plan was. I think he was just like, hey, you guys did your Halloween. Good job. Here's a better one for next year. <laughs> well done on getting the shit out there. Here's a good one. Um, if you guys want to follow um, Michael E. Wilson, you can go to uh, therealmikewilson.com. Do not go to the fake Michael. Don't Wilson. go to the Dot fake com. Wilson, Michael. Michael Wilson. Um, he is a writer and a musician, um, and we need to get this guy on correspondence. That would be so cool. Michael, reach out to us if you want. I to need be on to know show. more about the inspiration behind this story because it was, it was like sad and beautiful. Yeah, and I just imagine an orange sunset, you know, and two cats looking out, just just next to each other, just loving on each other, and it's just beautiful. It's just like it's Halloween. This, <laughs> I was I was in love with it. Uh, thank you, Michael, for that, and especially thank you to Sam Oliver, Samantha Oliver, who did a fantastic job at reading that. She's a first time reader as She's well. She's a right? first time reader. She is from Un Unbalanced Encounters as well. Uh, we got the three um, to to read, uh, and she did such a good job. I, I I just I listened to it over and over and over again editing it and I at no point was ever like oh I gotta listen to this again I was like oh it's <laughs> she has a very soothing voice she should read like I don't know children's books or something yeah children's like, books like whatever you listen to night, as you're moon. going to sleep <laughs> like it'd be great um if you want to follow her um you know I looked around for her for a bit so uh, I couldn't find a ton but here's the two things you can do you can go to unbalancedencounters.com and check out their show she she plays on on that show and does a really good really good job she also is an artist who does a lot of pottery um and she has a shop 
and it's uh, Samantha. She needs to be the Bob Ross of pottery videos. Oh, yeah. Hey there, everybody. <laughs> um, SamanthaOliver.com. If you go there, you will see just all the cool shit that she makes. Uh, and if she wants to, you know, make like Between Lewis and Lovecraft pottery, pottery. send it, just, you know, send it our way. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll totally use it. Um, so, yeah, so that's a thing. Um, Sam. Super good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, Michael, you need to hit us up so you can be on our show because you're way too good not for us to shout out. Um, our next episode, episode. episode our next story is uh, by Curtis A. Dieter. Longtime friend of the show. He's been listening to the show since we started. I, and he's submitted to like every Everything single flash fiction episode. He is prolific. He is prolific. He and um, Steve Kane just. Well, because Curtis is constantly getting published for his short uh, mm-hmm. stories. He does uh, a lot of anthologies and, and things like that. He's got new stuff coming out. Um, so I, I'm I'm constantly in awe of how much this guy does. And this is coming from a guy that, I mean, I, I do a lot. Like, I... I'm told that by my wife all the time, so I'm allowed to say it. I do too much. Uh, so Curtis also does a lot, and he's a fantastic author. Um, you can follow Curtis by going to his website, curtisadeter.com. Um, and this story he, he sent in, and he has this to say about it. Uh, we do indeed have Belinda the Child etched in our basement floor. And we've looked at the house before we bought our current home that had a things I'm grateful for chart at the back of the basement door. It was we, uh, it was weird things like the roof over my head, meals, and mommy. We didn't buy that house for obvious reasons. Just another uh, that is also likely haunted. So, um, know that. Inspired by inspired true Inspired by true events. Uh, as we go into the story by uh, move that over by Curtis A. Dieter entitled Everything We Are Grateful For. Babe, Alice calls from the other room. Find the right one yet? The tarnished bent old key slips from beneath my sweaty fingers clattering across the wood floor. It has to be the hundredth key I've tried. Nope. I close my eyes, take a deep breath. Not yet. Found another bag hiding in the guest room. It jingles as it lands beside me. Keys spill out in their dozens, mixing with the others. Alice just shrugs and smiles. (laughs) Good luck. Move-in was going about as well as expected, considering the 120-something-year-old farmhouse's brittle bones. Until Alice discovered the tiny door in the coat closet, at least. Knee-height, tucked behind a roll of dusty Berber, she almost missed it. Looks like you've got a job. At that, she left me to it. That was three hours ago. Now, knuckles cracked and bleeding, hands shaking, I'm ready to find my crowbar but one key catches my eye. Nothing special, a simple rust-red loop with a single jagged tooth. It slides perfectly into the lock, and the door creaks open. Ha! Fuck you! 
Fuck yeah! The opening is pitch, but my phone's flashlight illuminates a deep, narrow stairway leading down into black. A tight squeeze, but after brushing away cobwebs, I manage through. Everything okay in here? I turn to Alice and bump my head. Oh, she says. But hey, you finally got it open! My skin crawls. There's a messy chalkboard on the door, cutesy little pictures doodled all over it and writing only a mother would be proud of. Alice notices too and reads it out loud. I'm grateful for the roof over my head. I'm grateful for my meal at the end of the day. I'm grateful for when daddy comes to play with me. That's not creepy or anything. The last few words are smeared to the edge of the board by what look like tiny chalkmark fingerprints. Yeah, no, totally normal. Alice hands me a mag light. I'm gonna pass, but let me know what you find, okay? I take each step slowly, reluctantly, the words on the chalkboard forever repeating. I'm grateful for the roof over my head. Dust falls as Alice stomps down the hallway above me. I'm I'm grateful grateful for my my meal at the end end of the day. day. My stomach grumbles. I think I can finally see the bottom of the stairs. I'm I'm grateful for when Daddy comes to play with me. The door slams shut and the maglite shorts, plunging me into utter darkness. My heart races. I frantically pat my pockets. Where's my phone? Did I leave it upstairs? I call for Alice, but my voice cracks. I stumble, tripping on the bottom step and fall into the cold concrete floor. The flashlight skitters out of my reach. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. The words boom as I struggle to my feet. Something brushes against my legs, scampers across the confined space. There's giggling, like a small child's. Those two words continue to repeat again and again. I'm grateful. There! In my back pocket. My phone! A light. The mantra and the accompanying laughter cease the instant it clicks on. I'm alone with the spiders. And I'm grateful for it. It's more crawl space than a room. Empty, save for a smattering of old faded newspaper and an upturned dog bowl in the far corner. There's a lingering smell. The must of an old house. A smell that tickles your nostrils and waters your eyes. And the sickly sweet aroma of spoiled meat. I slide the newspaper aside to see what the decades-old headlines are hiding. Beneath it, in stark contrast to the smooth gray concrete, is an ovular section of cracked, lumpy gray about four feet around. In the center, as if scribbled by someone's finger, it reads, Belinda the child, ever grateful, ever young. freaking grateful for the nightmares <laughs> that's gonna give me oh my god those words did not have to be that creepy yeah i know there was so uh jess did such a good job at reading it and i was like oh i get to play with this now i was like flinching every time she said it i'm like oh yeah i love that we're recording 
while we're listening to it, I feel like I'm going to be taking some clips of you like reacting jumping, like. and it's going to be so good. I can't wait to to play with that. Yeah. Thanks for stressing me out, Curtis and Jess. <laughs> yeah. Jess Ayers read that. Jess Ayers from uh, Fables of Refuge. She has been a, uh, a reader for us for three years now. Um, doing a fantastic job. I say that about everybody, but it, but Jess is one of my favorite readers that we've ever had on this show. Um, like I, I love Allie and I love Jarrett and Carter. Obviously, just I like I said, he hit it out of the box earlier. Um, not a saying. Not a saying. I know it's well, it is now uh, hitting it out of the box. <laughs> Thinking outside of the park. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Um, Jess is like genuinely. Every time I ask her, I'm like, I'm like waiting for her reply. Please, like, hey, you want to, you want to read for us? Would would that be something you want to do? And I'm just waiting and waiting. Finally, she's like, sure, that sounds fun. I'm just like, yes, we got her. <laughs> I'm always excited because she does such a good job, and and she like she just took this and she read it perfectly. Um, so great job to Curtis for taking something terrifying in real life and making it even more scary in our <laughs> brains. And good job to Jess for bringing that uh, to life. If you want to go check out uh, Jess and all of her adventures, you can go to at Jess NXT, which is supposed to be next, but Jess NXT door on Instagram. And uh, you can see all the Fables of Refuge stuff she does, all of her um, links to different medias. And I think she I think she might have a TikTok. I'm not sure. But all you kids with your TikToks. With your TikToks and Instagrams um, and your link trees. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So. So, yeah. So that was probably one of my favorite stories that we got. uh, Just the the dream team on that one. Uh, Up next. We have Heidi Jackson. Ooh, who, I already know it's going to be good. Yeah, Heidi, Heidi is terrifying. Heidi is a dark horse that came out of nowhere, and I and I absolutely love. I posted three years ago on a local Facebook page in Canby, being like, "Hey, we're trying to get this off the ground. If you're in Canby and you like scary stories or whatever, or you're an author, you should submit something." And she did. She submitted a story and it was okay, right? And I was like, you, you're, you're doing great. Just keep it up. And then the next year, she wrote a story and it scared the shit out of me. It was like insanely good. And I had John Curtis read it and he hit it out of the park. So like they did such a good job. Um, this year she wrote her story. And it's fantastic. And I stole it because I wanted to read it. Oh, my gosh. Giving yourself... All of your favorites. Yeah, I am. I am. Uh, so Heidi Jackson, uh, she is from here. She is, uh, she's working on a collection of short stories, uh, short horror stories. Which As I think she should. Is appropriate. Uh, and she's working on making Hell Cell a full length novel. <gasps> oh uh, my God. And that was her one from the first episode she contributed to, right? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah. Um, and she's she's from Canby, Oregon, and she's she's trying to make it as an author. And I love it, and I support it, and I'm here for it. That's why I'm reading it. So this is uh, Heidi Jackson's Frozen Graves, as read by T.W. Clausen. Uh, 
Cole limped his old Toyota Celica down the darkest path of the oldest part of the cemetery. As his car sputtered to a stop, Cole let out a deep sigh. Well, <laughs> we gotta be homeless, at least it's in the right time of the year. The gravestones were grim and weather-worn, but spring had decorated them with the fallen blossoms of cherry trees and wildflowers. He flashed the high beams on three identical headstones. The names and dates were eroded, but he could make out that they all had the same death date, January 1st, 1889. Cole got out of the car. As he walked to the rear, he noticed freshly made footprints of a barefoot child in the spring mud. Cole popped the trunk and began rummaging through its contents looking for his sleeping bag and pillow. He heard a child's giggle, faint and distant at first. The more he looked around, the closer it felt. The giggle turned into a chorus of mischievous laughter and seemed to surround him. Another voice began to count. One, two, three. You can't find me. Who, who's there? Where are your parents? Cole yelled into the darkness. His question was met with a sudden and deafening silence. Cole held his breath as he used the light from his phone to peer into the night and listen. Four, five, six. Your time ticks. Giggles and ticking sounds echoed throughout the whole graveyard. Cole scrambled back to his car. He frantically locked all the doors. The laughter sounded just as clear as if the children were in the car with him. The air cooled and the small barefoot prints of children walked across the frozen windshield. Frost crystallized each footprint. The roof of the car creaked with the pitter-patter of the impish footprints. Seven, eight, nine. Your soul is mine. Cole's breath froze in the air and his teeth began to chatter uncontrollably. He fumbled with his keys and tried to start the engine to no avail. He turned the headlights on. They beamed brightly on a little girl sitting on a headstone. She dangled her feet merrily. She looked up and wagged her finger at him. He wrapped himself up in his sleeping bag, but the cold seemed to permeate through his skin. He watched as the fractal lace patterns of icy handprints crept from the hood of his car, crawling to the windshield and covering it in a thick layer of ice. Hypothermia began to set in. Cole began to feel drowsy, and his eyes grew heavy as he began to drift to sleep. Tick, tick, ten. You'll never breathe again. The childish voice shot through the icy silence. Startling Cole from his hypothermic daze, Tick, tick, ten, was whispered and giggled over and over again. The voices and laughter stopped abruptly. The silence made his ears ring. Cole tried to unlock the doors, but they were frozen shut. Cole felt an icy, breathy whisper in his ear. Tick, tick, ten. Sitting next to him were three children. Their eyes were completely black, their lips blue with frostbite and turned into sly smiles. They chanted, Tick, tick, ten, through their closed mouths. 
Cole began to feel warm. He tore off the sleeping bag and kicked at the window. When it finally broke, he scrambled out of the car and tried to run from the frightening children. His legs were weak, causing him to stumble onto the frosted ground. His hands began to bleed from the broken ice shards as he crawled across the frozen mud and footprints. He felt something so icy it burned as it grabbed his ankles. Cole screamed in pain. He looked back and saw two little boys grinning as they held his legs. Ahead of him was the little girl smiling. She reached out and grabbed his hand. Ice grew from her grasp. He screamed until he choked on his own last breath. You'll never breathe again. She giggled. Guys, you have to stop with the creepy children. I cannot. That was so... I have not heard that, like, counting rhyme sequence before, so I kind of suspect Heidi made it up. Yeah, that's And if I so, think. it was really good. She did a great job. Sometimes, like, when you try to make up your own sing-song yeah, it things, it, it sounds kind of cheesy, but that was chilling. Yeah. I'm going to have Tick, Tick, Ten, You'll Never tick, Breathe Again tick, stuck ten. in my head all day. Uh, so that was produced fully by Cameron. I, I read it, and then I just gave it to him. I was like, just go make it creepy and well done Cameron he succeeded I think he got probably one of the few really successful jump scares in in one of the stories with the like <laughs> and it was like oh shit all right we're listening to a scary story he did a great job because um while we were listening to the story I turned and I asked Tyler I'm like who did the rhyming yeah. counting because it sounded so different and he's like me so yeah cam successfully made you sound nothing like yourself yeah which is always a very good thing that we should always strive to do <laughs> don't be real be someone else <laughs> um speaking of stuff we shouldn't do hannah where's your story at i know you got it um i don't know why you think you know that hannah where's your story at i left it at home you didn't i didn't write it you did write it. I know you wrote it. it I'm going to call Talon it was and I'm going to have enough. him send it over. Guys. Talon, do not listen to him. Guys, Hannah's being a liar right now. It's just, I can't compete with all of this. It's No one can compete with all of this. That's no why I put mine at the beginning so that you're like, oh, this is good. Yeah, that was a safe move. I should have put mine at the beginning. Yeah, well, every time you lie to me. It gets worse because soon it's going to be the last ep- the last story we do. How many stories do we have left? Two. Two. We have two stories left. Well, you know, we've been going for a while now. We should just end it on those two. <laughs> no, <laughs> I do want to say again. Uh, I, I, it, it killed me to to not include every single story, um, but for the sake of time and quality, we did have to cut some. So I, I just want to say um, to authors like Warren. Um, and David Clark Bradley Botts, who is a good friend of ours, um, Charlton Clark, who's submitted stories mm-hmm. to us before, and even John Curtis, who read for us. I, I do apologize for not being able to include your stories in this episode, but we will be doing our damnedest to get them into other episodes uh, for our chill shows and uh, still help get you guys promoted a little bit and show off some of your work. You guys did a fantastic job and I don't want that to go without being noticed. Thank you so much for submitting to us. Um, That sounded weird (laughs) for submitting to our Our show. show. 
submitting um, work and to our show. And it's authority over your life. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we are a cult. This story was written by Alex. This next story. That just is Alex? Just Alex. Oh, no. there's It's a it's a longer name. Alexandria Alexandra Harper. Oh. Yeah. Kind of ringing She's got out. a great uh, author name. Yeah, I agree. Alexandra Harper. She is... Um, this story has been published in Black Ink Fiction's anthology entitled Black or Dark Matter. Dark Matter. So we, we took some, some already existing stuff. She sent it to us because she loves our show so much. We love you, Alexandra. Uh, other stories that have been published in various anthologies can be found on Amazon under my author page, Alexandra Harper. Um, so this is her story, Red Planet, and it was read by Allie Fitzgerald. Yes. Vaughn took deep breaths as she strode across the red earth of the alien planet. There was gravity here, but it was lighter, so although she could make pace, it wasn't like a running pace on Earth. The suit didn't help. It was advanced tech now in 2090, but still cumbersome. Devon just concentrated on putting one foot in front of the other and her breathing. She was using up way too much oxygen. She looked at her regulator. It showed less than one bar and was flashing red at her. She tapped at it and tried slowing her breathing. Then she risked looking behind her again. It was still there, slower than her, but only mildly and still coming. She tried contacting the ship again to no avail. She had lost contact about three minutes after she and O'Brien had left to investigate an alien craft that had been detected. When they had finally reached it, they had found it empty. They had proceeded to investigate, looking for any signs of life. O'Brien had been killed shortly after a visceral attack. One minute they had been peering into the empty craft, the next something came out of nowhere and O'Brien had just been gone. That's the only way Devon could describe it, even to herself. He was simply gone. In his place, simply a faint mist pervading the air around her that she disturbingly surmised was made up of his blood, bone, and tissue that had sprayed everywhere. In the air, over the alien ship, and on the ground around her, darkening the red earth and possibly further. Eyes widened in fear, she had choked out a guttural scream, turned swiftly, and started to run back towards her ship. It should take 15 minutes to get back to it from here, but right now, she thought she could do it in about 12. The creature had appeared when she had looked behind her for the second time. A thin, spindly-looking creature, humanoid in appearance, but impossibly tall, bright yellow eyes. She had frozen and tripped in that moment, but then regained her footing almost instantly. She was only a few minutes away from her ship now. She could see the open ramp awaiting her. She still had no verbal contact with the crew. She continued to run. It was all she could do. She turned once more. It was gaining on her now. She turned breathless towards the ship again, heard a crackling voice and almost cried in relief. Then her heart stopped as she looked up at the main deck window of the ship and saw it, like the one that followed her. She slowed, shook her head in disbelief. Then the communicator came to life again, and she heard the voice. Not human. 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 Not human. She stopped, breathing deeply as she realized 
her crew had been attacked too. She grappled with her weapon, and just as she turned it toward the creature pursuing her, it eviscerated her. The creature picked up the bloodstained communicator from the ground. Set course for Earth. So I don't think I can listen to the last story. I got to go home and like get my go bag together. <laughs> yeah. What did I just listen to? You listened to a master class of reading a wonderful story. That it was, was great. Very I, intense. Uh, I was so excited um, that Allie was able to make time to read a story for us. Um, and uh, I thought this was a great sci-fi horror you know kind of story um anything where it's like kind of actiony i feel like she does a pretty good job of, mm-hmm. of that tone so I she really her. throws herself into it um so she ended up uh doing the production for a version of it she read it and did the production for me and i i had a very specific idea of what i wanted which was pretty much that um and so what she did was wonderful and and there's there's nothing against what she had created as far as the, the tone it just wasn't the sci-fi feel i wanted it was more kind of like a ghosty feel and so i really wanted to play with the kind of the calm sounds and um the the running and kind of the action feel so um i kind of took it away from her a little bit uh and i i had her send me the original audio uh, to play with and she she did she she was nice enough to be like yeah no that's fine so what we're hearing is tyler just has to micromanage every single not story. everything <laughs> not everything just that one in particular i did have a specific sound in my head when i when i read it and i was like oh this would be really perfect and so i I, f- I felt bad doing it uh, because Allie did such a good job and put so much work into it. She had like just gotten back from vacation and like sat down that day to jet to lagged. Yeah. And so like it was, I felt really bad, but at the same time I, I really wanted to, to play with that. So um, what you guys can do to try and make up for it for me, is go and subscribe to Allie's YouTube channel. <laughs> Where she should post her original. Um, yeah, Allie, post her original. <laughs> unless you really liked this and you're like, oh, no, this is way better. That's up to you. I'm not going to say it is, but it's your choice. Uh, if you guys want to check out, she has a couple of, of different uh, things for you to check out. The first is her YouTube channel. She has been growing a community and a following on her on her page and it's been so exciting to see that grow it's um Allie's reading corner um yeah i want to make sure i say that right Allie's reading corner on youtube so uh we'll have a link in our description but check it out she did like a four-part series on the way of kings where she read through the whole book and talked about um what she thought about it and i was there every time she released an episode i was like i was well, i was trying to read it in time so i could <laughs> so she didn't spoil it for me and because she goes in depth and it's so good her um, reviews are so insightful they are and like kind of the the feel that she has the vibe that she has on her channel um, is, is really, really fun to watch. So go check out that or her Instagram, which is uh, underscore Allie Fitzgerald. 
Um, and you know, there you'll be able to see everything she does. The, the alley's reading corner. Um, she's a vegan and does a lot of vegan stuff. She does a lot of workout stuff and she's a part of fables of refuge. So, um, she's constantly posting things about that and it's definitely worth following there. She does too much. You're you're out of breath, uh, summarizing it all. Legitimately like losing breath. (sighs) Okay. Um, we have a new author and, and this is, I mean, unless you have your story. I, I keep telling you, um, computer dog ate it. Okay, well, I'm just going to go ahead and call your mom after we get done <laughs> with this, and we'll see about that. Um, we have a new author. This is going to be the last story of the show. So um, thank you guys so much for hanging out with us this Halloween season. Um, it was a terrible beginning to October, for me at least, and this show definitely helped me get back into the spirit of things. And, um, you know, I, a year ago I was expecting a child and it was stressful and I, and I had so much going on. And this year I was able to kind of relax and just enjoy the process a little bit more. And it was really because of, of the authors and the, the readers, the narrators, um, you guys did such a fantastic job, and I, I can't thank you enough. I'm so happy to be able to work on this project every year. Every year, this is one of our best episodes and the most fun to to produce and listen to and get to share with the world. It's an awesome way for us to interact with our listeners, too. Um, and yeah, I mean, we spend so much time talking at you guys, and it's exciting to get to hear and read the things that you're creating. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, this will will go ahead and close out the episode with this story. Um, Hannah, did you want to say anything before we get into the story itself? Just if you're listening and you you didn't contribute anything, um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the stories. Mm -hmm. Feel free to send us an email at lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram um, because we would love to to hear what you guys think of the stories too and and the um, production and voice actors. Let us know what your favorites are or if there were ones that kept you up at night. If you are um, sick of hearing children giggling creepily (laughs) like I am. <laughs> um, just let us know. We we love this episode and we want to hear from you. Yeah. And uh, if anybody is watching this on YouTube, um, thank you so much for checking out the channel. We've got other videos that you can check out, like uh, where I talk for 15 minutes straight over a movie and people complain <laughs> about it on the comments. Um, different older episodes that we've done, um, random videos. Let uh, us know if you want us to put more of our older episodes on YouTube, too. I know yeah. a lot of people do listen to podcasts on YouTube. So if that's something you're if that's an easier platform for you to engage with, let us know. Yeah. And if you're listening to this as a podcast and you want to check out the video, it'll be up after, you know, what, hopefully on Halloween morning. Um, so you can go to our YouTube page, which is just Lewis and Lovecraft, right? I believe so. Yeah. Or you can go to our website. There should be a link there as well. Lewisandlovecraft.com. All right. So who is reading our last story? Well, so the last story was written by Andre. Just Andre? Andre. The giant? Shuck. Shuck. I don't know anything about this author. Andre. Um, I don't know if it's a guy, a girl. Um, a they, them, um, and it. Uh, You're going to get an, who was it? Like A. Smith last time? Yeah. He was like, I'm a dude. I'm a dude, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I, I just I, I can't assume anymore. And it's fine. I just don't know. They submitted a story through our website. They went to our website, lewisandlovecraft.com, and they went to the the submit a thing. And then they um, just wrote the whole story in that and just sent it. I was like, this is great. Wait, in is like perfect. the form? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Perfect. Amazing. Um, the only information I have is I am a Brazilian writer. Not even Brazilian man, Brazilian woman. Yeah, exactly. Just a Brazilian <laughs> no. writer. So uh, this I'm Brazilian excited. entity has graced us with an absolutely beautiful, uh, terrifying existential crisis of a of a story. And uh, Emily Graymore is back to read uh, yes. our last story. So with that, until I can track down Hannah's story, this will be the end of the show thank you all for hanging out with us here is we are at the edge by andre shuck hi there's no way around it you turn the page and have found us or would it be the other way around There's nothing good here, at least not for you, and closing the book won't help, neither will trying to forget what you've read. We are like an inevitable disaster. The feeling of not having any more time. The moment when you realise too late that you're going to crash the car, you step on the brakes and know that you're going to crash regardless. The blink of an eye between not wanting to die and the accident. You will be like that for the rest of your life, trapped in this implacable moment of fear, of the unexplained noise in the dark, of the strongest wind, of the smell of a storm, of the maintenance that was left undone, of the lack of medicine, of the tide that drags you to the bottom, of suffocation, of the cold sweat, of the food stuck in your throat, of the feeling of being chased, of Of the the punch, punch, of of the the silent silent and cold knife stab, of the the wrong person in your way, of neglect, of the taste of the gas left on, of the phone that rings Tuesday afternoon, of the medicine taken by mistake. You won't know from where it will come. This is love. As if, idiot. This is our sick game. Love, sickness, Sickness, love, curse, curse, love. It's all the same, isn't it? You were born in a time when all you have to do is push a button and everything around you lights up. The darkness has lost space, and you have stopped believing. Do not be fooled. Even if you get up now and turn the lights on around the house, turn on the television, it won't make us go away. We are already here. Already here. Already here. Already here. Already here. If you take your eyes off the book and quickly turn your head back, you might get a glimpse of what we are like. Wanna bet? Turn. Go ahead. Turn. Coward. 
Looking back when you're afraid is tough, isn't it? But at some point you'll have to do it. And I guarantee you, you'll wish you hadn't. Maybe tomorrow, when you're driving, look in the rearview mirror and see us sitting in the back seat or in the bus. When someone brushes against your back, you'll turn without thinking and there we will be, smiling. Don't fool yourself. It's a smile full of malice. Just an involuntary reflex of the pleasure we feel when our eyes meet for the first time. Of knowing that now you have the understanding that you can never be happy again. Happy? What made you happy? That's right. Past. Reading a book. That was among the list. After all, you have one in your hands and have spent some time from your life making money to be able to buy it. It was a gift. Then someone spent some time from their life. And where has that led to? Us. The decay is advancing through your body, rotting, smashing, destroying. Believe it, it's inebriating. Can you feel your arms tightening, the skin heating up, the back of your neck weighing down? We want to open our mouths, let the saliva drip and bite your neck to feel the oily skin tearing, to reach the juicy meat, rip the veins open, letting the blood flow and to hear your screams while life rapidly ends. We won't do it. We'd rather a long suffering. We've had, okay, we still have our moments of frenzy where we go out slaughtering without any planning beasts crazed for the killing but you're special a little star full of hope irradiating kindness destined to a glorious purpose of love peace and prosperity <sighs> stop being an idiot when you die it won't make the slightest difference in the world none and don't even start with those moronic phrases that if I've made a difference to someone, I'll have done my part. Again, stop being an idiot. You are born, reproduce, and come on, it's not that hard. You die. And now you're thinking, I'll die, but I'll get rid of you. I'll be in a better place. I'll be able to rest. You're wrong. Very wrong. You are coming with us. Yeah, hi, Mrs. Lambert. Yeah. Yeah, no, she didn't send it. No, she didn't send it. Yeah, so you're going to send it over right now? Okay. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, I know. She totally lied. I know. 
she even scared Talon into telling me the truth. So, here, I mean, where can I go ahead and... Yeah, you send it over, we'll play it. Okay. Thank you, Mrs. Lambert. All right, that was uh, Hannah's mom, and uh, she's going to go ahead and send over the last story, which is Hannah's story, Um, and uh, we're going to go ahead and play that right now. The 12th floor hallway of the Center for Plant Discovery sat empty and church quiet. The receptionist had mentioned they were having trouble keeping interns around. No one wants to work anymore, she complained, but I expected some sort of activity. I knocked on the door. Come in. A muffled voice called out. Hello, I said, my eyes struggling to adapt to the dim laboratory. I'm the new intern. Welcome, said a man I assumed was the laboratory director. I'm glad you made it. He stood near a table covered with plastic nursery pots and grow lights. He was neither short nor tall, but his shadow towered behind him on the wall. I passed shelves straining under exotic greenery far different than the native plants I had expected to work with. Long leaves trailed over the edges of one shelf, with pitcher-shaped flowers dangling from the end, their mouths open and a single curved leaf extending from the top of each like an umbrella. The lab smelled musty and damp, like moss, but with a hint of something sweet. He waved me closer to the table and picked up one of the pots containing dainty clusters of Venus flytraps. Did you know... Venus flytraps are only native to a small portion of the Carolinas. I shook my head. It makes them extremely difficult to study in the wild. Pitcher plants are much more common, but only a few varieties are native to North America. I leaned closer, inspecting the bright pink interiors of the leaves and the spiky teeth surrounding them like eyelashes. They stared at me, unblinking. What specifically are you researching? I asked. He smiled at me, his teeth clean and white. His eyes, though, were relaxed, like they were tired of lying about smiling. There are relatively few carnivorous plant species in the world. What makes a plant evolve to gain nutrients from animals? Natural selection? Who does the selecting? I looked up from the flytraps. He was watching me with an unreadable expression. How is the experiment structured? I asked. He placed the flytraps back on the table and led me up a spiral staircase, swiping his keycard in front of a sensor on the door. It blinked red, then green. We stepped into a jungle. Moss covered the floor and more rows of plants surrounded us, their vines and flowers obscuring the walls. The air felt like a sauna, heavy and moist. The sugary smell intensified. We need a controlled environment to work from. There is an entire isolated ecosystem here with several plant and insect species all evolving together. Doesn't evolution take millions of years? I asked. Evolution depends on many things. We stopped walking and I noticed an astounding specimen, the largest leaf I'd ever seen, at least three feet tall and shaped like an upside down heart. A thick magenta stem descended toward the ground, disappearing into the bright green moss. How is it we have developed what we call sophisticated brains compared to our ape cousins? He asked, placing a hand on his chin. I remained silent, unable to tell if he was legitimately asking me a question or just thinking out loud. The human body truly is remarkable. He said, still staring at the giant umbrella-like leaf. So many secrets 
yet to uncover. What's the secret to this plant? I asked. I've never seen anything like it. This is the pride of the experiment. It is in the midst of developing human-like veins. Would you like to take a closer look? Veins? It was so strange that there was only one stem shooting up from the moss. Was it even a leaf, or was it a flower? It was light green, but covered in red dots. I raised my hand, reaching toward the leaf. Then I set my foot down, and the moss dropped out from beneath me. The heart-shaped leaf vanished. All the air left my lungs. I tumbled through darkness, my hand searching for something, anything to grasp onto. Then my feet hit liquid, and a splash echoed around me. Water poured into my mouth. No, not water. Something thicker, with a sweet, acidic taste. I thrashed and sputtered to the surface, glimpsing a circle of light above where I must have fallen in. Then the silhouette of the leaf slowly distended like a lid, trapping me and my screams inside the pitcher. Subject has entered Nepenthes Magnus. Time, 9.43 a.m.